Welcome back to The Dirt Show. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that is sure to arouse controversy. And if my uh, males uh, generally and my, my contacts from others is any sign, uh, this is going to be something that will get a lot, of, a lot of disagreement. Today, I want to talk about the judge in Florida who issued a ruling uh, yesterday that um, the mask uh, requirement on uh, airlines and trains and other federal means of transportation is illegal. She didn't say it was unconstitutional. She didn't say it would be unconstitutional for the government to require masks on airplanes or on trains. She just said that this particular ruling is illegal because it violated the Administrative Procedure Act. Very technical uh, decision, long decision in which she basically said that the administrative agencies didn't dot their I's and cross their uh, T's. Um, the decision itself does not read as a very uh, thoughtful decision. Um, it's a long decision, but it, I think, fails to take into account uh, the balancing of rights. So let me start by conceding that uh, people have a right not to wear masks. <clears throat> you have a right to generally do what you want with your your body and yourself. You don't have a complete right. You don't have the right to get on an airplane without any clothing. Um, and you don't have a right to get <clears throat> on an airplane if you're generally sick with a contagious uh, disease. But uh, uh, you generally have a right to decide whether you want to walk around with a mask or not. In Japan and other parts of the world, people routinely wear masks uh, just in the street uh, to protect themselves against uh, pollution and against um, uh, environmental and, and medical issues. But people also don't wear masks. That generally should be an individual choice. And so there is a right not to wear a mask, but there's a countervailing right, as often is the case. <clears throat> I have a right not to have you sit next to me without a mask. Um, I'm 83 years old. I've had all kinds of uh, medical conditions. I don't want to get uh, COVID. My doctors tell me I shouldn't get COVID. And I generally am very cautious. I don't go into uh, theaters that uh, don't require masks. I don't eat indoors at restaurants. And I try very hard to avoid contact with people who are not wearing masks. But do I have a right to fly from New York to Los Angeles or New York to Boston, do I have a right to fly on an airplane in which everybody is, is masked? Um, you know, in the old days, you remember, if you're as old as I am, that there were the airplanes were divided into smoking and non-smoking sections. It was absurd because the smoke from the smoking sections would go, there's no wall, and, uh, you know, I, I would breathe in the, the, the smoke from the smokers. Ultimately, the federal government ruled, and nobody really seemed hard to object to it, um, that the, the right of people not to be smoked at is greater than the right of the people to smoke. It was, uh, I think, John Stuart Mill who basically said, he didn't use these words, the right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose. You have the right to swing your fist, but I have the right not to have you hit me in the nose. And uh, I think that applies to cigarettes, your right to inhale um, is sacrosanct. If you want to inhale and destroy your lungs, fine. But your right to exhale is limited by my nostrils. You have no right to exhale at me, and I have the right to go on an airplane in which uh, nobody is smoking. Maybe someday we're going to have to have two uh, types of airplanes or two sections of airplanes, mask sections and 
unmasked session. We don't have that at the moment. So at the moment, uh, you know, President Biden announced today that Americans have the right to do what they want. Uh, if you want to wear a mask, wear it. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't don't wear it. Uh, on uh, Air Force One, you have to wear a mask. The president has made that decision. As far as he's concerned, you have to wear a mask if you're going to be near him. But uh, he didn't decide, and he couldn't decide. He wouldn't have the constitutional authority alone to decide that uh, everybody who flies um, in the skies of America has the right to be protected against masks. But what does it do to my rights? I won't get on an airplane now, um, unless it's an absolute emergency. If it's a medical emergency or something like that, I guess I have no choice. But I'm not going to fly for pleasure uh, on airplanes in which people are not uh, wearing masks. You say, well, I can wear a mask. Sure. But when I wear a mask, I'm only partially protected. I get to sit next to somebody who's sneezing or coughing or breathing heavy, and uh, they are not wearing a mask. The chances of me getting COVID through my mask are increasingly great. It's at least twice, probably more protective if everybody wears a mask than if you just alone wear a mask. And so I've been deprived of my right to get on an airplane or a train or a bus. And there's, by the way, a difference between an airplane, a train, and a bus. Airplanes have filtration systems which circulate the air from the outside uh, very frequently. And so uh, the likelihood of getting COVID uh, on an airplane are substantially lower than they are on a train or a bus. In a train, you're breathing the same air that everybody else is uh, breathing. You're locked in an aluminum tube um, about the size of an airplane. Uh, but the air is not recirculated in the same way it is on airplanes. The same thing is true even greater than a bus. Uh, so, uh, you know, the court basically decided that the rights of the um, person who doesn't want to wear a mask overwhelms is more important as a matter of law than the rights of people who want to be masked and want you to be masked. I, I don't know whether or not Ultimately, the Justice Department will decide to appeal this. Remember that the masking mandate on planes was about to run out anyway. It was only a couple of weeks before it expired on its own terms. It could have been renewed, and maybe it will be renewed, and maybe the administrative agencies will this time dot their I's and cross their T's and decide that um, uh, they will enact a valid rule that requires all airline passengers to wear masks. I don't know what the administration's view on this is. don't know whether the administration is going to appeal this verdict. I think it should. But it may not. Politically, um, you know, uh, Biden's already running for re-election. Whether he actually runs for re-election, I don't know. But he's running, obviously, to help the Democrats maintain their control of, of Congress, which is only now a few months you know, away. And so he's in campaign mode. And his pollsters probably told him that uh, uh, Americans uh, prefer to be free not to wear masks. Actually, the polls uh, were very, very, very close, very close. I think it was like 51 to 49 or 51 to 48, something like that. And so it's very closely um, divided. I don't know how the courts would come out if it was a constitutional issue. That is, if the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed and the administrative agencies did all the right thing, and came to the conclusion that you are required, compelled to wear a mask and to present, say, for example, 
a vaccination certificate before you get on an airplane, would the courts uphold that? I think they would. I think the United States Supreme Court would uphold as constitutional, a properly enacted, legislatively enacted, or properly administratively enacted rule that required people to to wear masks. I do think that there is no constitutional right not to wear a mask, just there's probably no constitutional right for me to require that you wear a mask. It's a balancing of interests rather than uh, a competition between competition, constitutional rights. And when that happens, then legislation is generally upheld if it's properly enacted. And so I suspect that if there was a rule that was properly enacted, it would be um, it would be upheld. Now, you're going to be mad at me. Uh, you're going to say, no, 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 people should have the right not to be masked. I'm giving you my constitutional analysis. <clears throat> I don't generally allow my personal views to intrude on my constitutional analysis. In this case, I favor required masking. That's my personal view. But um, I don't think that's what determines for me what the constitutional law ought to be or even what the administrative law ought to be. I hope that President Biden and the Justice Department appeal this decision because I think it was a wrong decision. Here's another point of hypocrisy. Do you remember during the Trump administration when a single judge, a single judge somewhere, I don't remember where it was, maybe California, somewhere in the West, ruled that uh, some immigration issue was unconstitutional. Maybe it was the, uh, what was called the Muslim ban, was unconstitutional. The right went crazy. The conservatives all said, one judge, one federal judge appointed by Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, one judge is going to be allowed to make policy for the whole United States unconstitutional, unfair, undemocratic. Now the same people are saying, one judge, wow, that's great. That one judge struck down for the whole country the mask mandate. Yay for that judge. It's constitutional. It's good. And the Democrats are taking exactly the opposite view. The Democrats who said, oh, one judge, that's okay, back when Trump was president, are now saying, one judge making everybody fly on airplanes in which people aren't masked? One judge? You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Is anybody out there surprised? that hypocrisy is our national motto. It used to be, you know, something about uh, uh, America. But no, I think that the symbol of America should now be the hypocrite. Uh, The two shoes, uh, the shoe on the other foot that doesn't fit. Because that's what politics is all about, hypocrisy. People aren't even ashamed. People aren't even embarrassed about taking utterly inconsistent positions. Not on the dirt show. On the Der Show, we're going to have consistency. You point out to me once that I wasn't consistent. You point out to me once that I allowed my own partisan politics or even ideology to determine what the right constitutional approach is. You're not going to be able to find it because I don't do that. Uh, I am consistent. I am principled. I'm always going to stick to my consistency, my principles, and I'm doing it now. I don't think one judge in general... And I thought that back then should be allowed to make policy for the entire United States. That's why we have courts of appeals, to appeal from that one judge to 
three judges and then maybe nine judges and then up to the Supreme Court where you have nine justices. The Supreme Court should make national policy. Courts of appeals should make regional policy and district court judges should make local policy. But one district court judge should not be able to decide forever whether or not the airlines should be required to uh, have masks uh, for people who want to fly on the airplane. Uh, so um, uh, let's see where it goes. Let's see where the uh, Justice Department takes it. Let's see what the courts decide. Let's see if it goes up to the United States Supreme Court. And most important, let's see if the administrative agencies can get it right and can operate under the Administrative Procedure Act can dot their I's and cross their T's, get it up to the courts in a way where the constitutional issue is squarely presented or the legal policy issue is squarely presented, uh, unlike where it was in this case, which was really a technical uh, decision based on uh, the Administrative Procedure Act. So we'll see. We'll see how it, how it comes out. We'll see whether or not... Um, uh, John Stuart Mill's notion that the right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose applies to your right not to wear a mask ends at the tip of my nose because I don't want you to be coughing and sneezing even through my mask because my mask isn't perfect, your mask isn't perfect, but the law doesn't require uh, perfection. So that's um, my message for today. Please disagree with me. Write me thoughtful. Please write me thoughtful thoughtful analysis and arguments. I, one out of every 10 seems thoughtful. The rest are, you know, just, just often just preposterous, absurd. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, let, let me read you first the preposterous one, then we'll get to the other one um, uh, here. Um, one guy, after commenting on my show yesterday about teaching about homosexuality, mommy and daddies in the school, um, um, says, um, I could not watch this because I'm a proud homophobe. You know, it's like saying, I'm a proud racist, I'm a proud anti-Semite, I'm a proud uh, uh, sexist. You know, you shouldn't be proud to be a homophobe, sorry. Uh, another ridiculous one. Wow, another Ivy League Jew. I went to Brooklyn College. Another, I, I am a Jew. Uh, another Ivy League Jew telling America how to think. Well, you know, if that's the best you can do uh, work method, if that's the best you can do, you know, hang it up. So here's some, some more thoughtful ones, mostly ones that disagreed with me. I would say my mail and comments ran probably five or seven to one, maybe even more, but at least five or seven to one um, uh, in, in favor of not allowing any teaching about, about sex, certainly at the younger grades. Some took it all the way through grade 12 here. Let me, let me just read you a couple of them, and then we can, we can comment on it. Uh, lost me when he says it's fine to teach kids that having two mommies or two daddies or one parent is normal and fine. Nope. We may accept people like that, but it is not the equivalent of the nuclear family where a man and a woman come together and produce an offspring that shares the generic heritage family. Uh, what about adopted kids? Uh, you, you don't think adopted kids also 
should should qualify as part of a, a normal family. Uh, but both parents, sorry, once we start pretending that a kid can actually have two moms, we might as well pretend that a boy can be a girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it turns out somebody born a boy can become a girl. Yeah, you, we could do that. We've managed to do that. We, we could do what genetics uh, didn't uh, uh, originally mandate or maybe even what God intended. But yeah, we can now make a girl into a boy and a boy into a girl. Um, not for medical reasons. You go to the doctor, you go to the hospital. How you were born makes a big difference, but you go to try to swim at a sporting event and you've been a girl for seven years, even though you were born a boy, you can qualify, you can play, uh, you can swim and you can win, you can win medals. Um, so, you know, don't, don't use the word normal. It, that's a value judgment. People who have two moms uh, and two dads have wonderful, wonderful families, uh, just as good as your so-called great nuclear family. The great nuclear family sometimes explodes like a nuclear bomb. It's not always the best. And if you have adopted children who aren't genetic uh, uh, children, they can be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Some of the great people in history have been have been adopted. And I'm sure in the years to come, some of our great leaders will have had two mommies and and two daddies, or even more increasingly now, just one mommy and no daddy, or no daddy and, and one and no and, you know and, uh, and no mommy. Uh, uh, in Ukraine, a lot of kids are going to be brought up now with just one mommy, or uh, in some cases, no mommies and and and, and no daddies. Uh, um, uh, what is a quote normal in one setting uh, can't be generalized to other to other uh, settings. Uh, the children who survived the Holocaust and and moved to Israel and lived in kibbutzim where they could share parents. And they grew up wonderful. They grew up fine. The kids who grew up in the kibbutz movement uh, ended up being some of the leaders of uh, Israel and some of the most innovative people. And they didn't grow up with uh, a mommy and a daddy and a nuclear family. They grew up uh, under the circumstances that were bestowed on them by, by the Holocaust. So a little bit more tolerance, a little bit more acceptability, a little bit more flexibility is probably a good thing. Oh, here's the next one. The left objected to children being taught about Jesus in school and as a result of religious uh, teachings is strictly forbidden. Yeah, that's right, and it should be. Um, and if religious ideology is banned, why should social justice ideology be allowed? Try not to be so hypocritical. No, I have to agree with you. I don't think social justice should be taught to young kids in, in school. Um, I think kids should learn arithmetic and geometry and geography and uh, English language and writing. Um, and I do think that the social justice can be taught by the churches, the synagogues, the mosques, the clubs, the parents, the friends outside of school. Um, I don't disagree with that. I don't think I'm being hypocritical, but I don't want Jesus uh, in the classroom. I don't want Jehovah in the classroom. I don't want Allah and Allah in the classroom. Just remember one thing. If you allow Jesus in the classroom, you allow Allah in the classroom. If you allow the religious teachings of Christianity in the classroom, you're going to inevitably allow Sharia in the classroom. You're going to allow the Talmud in the classroom. Do we really want our classrooms to become uh, areas of, of theological 
warfare. The one thing we know about theology, it's not a compromise. Uh, you know, uh, either Jesus, as somebody said in an op-ed piece the other day in the Times, either Jesus lifted up the stone and walked out of the crypt three days after he was crucified, or he didn't. Either Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from the Mount Sinai, or he didn't. Either Muhammad rode up to heaven on a, on a horse, or, or he didn't. Uh, nobody's going to resolve those disputes in class. And uh, it, it, and the Constitution provides that uh, um, uh, no established religion, no religious tests, and I think the spirit of the Constitution requires that religion not be taught in, in the schools. You might say, well, how about generic religion, the American civic religion, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. No, it, it begins to creep into theology. Uh, it begins to, oh, is Christmas going to be celebrated? Oh, if Christmas is going to be celebrated, Kwanzaa has to be celebrated. Oh, then you have to celebrate Hanukkah. Oh, then you have to celebrate uh, Ramadan. Uh, you know, once we get into that, um, uh, we import religious warfare into our civic society. So, uh, as Theodor Herzl, the founder of Zionism, wrote in his book, The Jewish State, rabbis should remain in their temples, not in the parliament, not in positions of power. Uh, if you're a truly religious person, you should be willing to persuade your followers by logic, by feelings, but not by compulsion, and not with the help of the state. You shouldn't need the help of the state. Um, the separation of church and state, by the way, was devised in America by Roger Williams, a fundamentally religious man in Rhode Island, who said we must keep apart the garden and the wilderness. And who do you think the wilderness was? The wilderness was the state. The garden was the church. He didn't want to see the wilderness impinge on the garden. That's why he wanted separation of church and state. We are among the most religious countries in the world today because we have separation of church and state because we do not have government assistance of religion, because we do not permit Jesus in the classroom, and let's keep it that way. Not only Jesus, let's keep Allah and Jehovah and every other God or every other religious figure out of the classrooms and out of the town square. Let the town square be reserved for politics. Let the schools be reserved for arithmetic, and let's separate church, state, synagogue and mosque. That's, that's my view. Um, okay. Next, um, anyone who spends a dollar with Disney is funding the perverts looking to recruit our young. Oh yeah, right, right. So if you're against the uh, law in Florida, you're a pervert who's looking to recruit the young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CMW9003. That's your view. No, I, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid civil libertarians um, can take principled decisions uh, against um, issues or in favor of, of issues uh, without wanting to be seen as somebody who wants to groom, who wants to groom children. Um, okay. Sexuality. The act of sex and gender should never be taught in K through 12, 12, in any form. That's because we know that 18-year-old boys and girls don't know anything about sex. They're not having sex. They're, 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 they're just uh, virgins waiting to be married and, and undergo the sacrament of marriage. And so 
we should ignore what we see in front of us, uh, namely that kids, obviously in high school, are, are involved in sexuality. And look, should they be taught in the school? That's, that's one thing. But the idea of extending K through 2 or 3 to K through 12 seems to me to, uh, to, to uh, mistake apples for oranges. Reading and writing and arithmetic must be the focus. I agree. Basic sciences such as geoscience, chemistry, biology, and physics can be taught at the high school level. Parents can handle anything else. I wish that were true. I wish parents did handle uh, everything else. Uh, there are certain things that parents really can't handle and schools should handle in a better act. But it's very hard. And as I said yesterday when we talked about this, this is also a question of allocation of power in a democracy. Should the federal government be dictating curriculum? Uh, should the state be telling parents uh, what to do? Should uh, local boards be making decisions about this? These are very hard questions in a federal, bicameral uh, democracy. And it, people who think there are simple answers mostly are favoring simple-minded answers. Sometimes simple-minded is true. Okay. What is your opinion of the attempt to keep Congresswoman Green off the ballot in her district in Georgia by claiming she is guilty of insurrection on January 6th and it disqualifies her under the 14th Amendment? She has never been charged with insurrection. Uh, the group is the same one who tried to keep Madison Crawthorne off the ballot by using the same argument. Doesn't this have any, does this have any chance of succeeding? And, did, and if it did succeed, would it be overturned on appeal? I agree with you completely. I am appalled by Congresswoman Green. I can't imagine why anybody would want to elect her. Sometimes I feel like going down to Georgia and becoming a resident just so I can vote against her. Some of the things she said are preposterous and absurd and bigoted. And she shouldn't be in Congress. She doesn't belong there. But uh, she's not an insurrectionist. And she's not what was intended by the 14th Amendment, uh, prohibiting uh, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, the post-Civil War Amendments. And the statute that grew out of it, that's not what they had in mind. They had in mind people who took up arms against the United States, who fought in the Union Army. And even those, many of those were eventually uh, forgiven, pardoned, and uh, allowed to participate in, in, in politics. So, uh, no, I don't think that Green should be thrown out on ground that she's an insurrectionist. I think she should be voted out of office by the intelligent and thoughtful people of Georgia who shouldn't want to be represented by a congresswoman like that. But uh, let that be decided on the merits, not by fiat, not by using some constitutional amendment that, that doesn't apply. So um, uh, again, I think my views are, are nuanced. Um, and um, again, uh, I, I don't support her. I, I wish she were defeated. But I don't want to see the Constitution misused and misinterpreted uh, based on uh, my strong opposition to her as, as a candidate. By the way, I am strongly opposed to the squad. Uh, Ilan O'Mara, who is a bigot and anti-Semite, shouldn't be in Congress. Uh, but I wouldn't, wouldn't throw her out of Congress for, for that. I wouldn't, if I were Nancy Pelosi, assign her to important committee roles because her views um, uh, on, on Israel and on many other issues are, are extremist and, and bigoted. But uh, I wouldn't use the Constitution as a tool to try to get rid of her. Um, okay. Um, remember, I asked, can't we just agree yesterday? Can't we agree that 
young kids, K through three, shouldn't be taught the details of uh, sexuality, shouldn't be taught about, you know, how it's happened, how it's done. But it's okay to tell them, look, Charlie in our class has two mommies and, and Mary has two daddies, and that's the way families are in the United States. And I get a lot of people responding like this. Well, no, we can't agree because it's not true. How ludicrous to assert that there's no difference between a normal married couple and a gay couple. Uh, unfortunately, you seem to be aware of the real, real agenda to not just indoctrinate, but to over-sexualize children. No, I'm not aware of that agenda because I don't think it exists. I think people like me believe in equality. Um, I'm, I'm heterosexual um, and um, uh, I, I'm, I'm happily married to a woman and I know what a woman is um, for the purposes of being married to one, but I wouldn't discriminate in any way or call abnormal uh, a couple that consists of uh, two women or, or, or two men or increasingly um, uh, families that uh, consist only of one parent. Uh, that's the reality and that's the new normality. And that's what we should teach our children to accept and to, uh, and to tolerate. Now, I'm not saying that classes should be devoted to that, but if uh, Charlie comes to a second grade teacher and says, a teacher, I'm surprised every day when Molly walks to school, she's holding hands with uh, two, two guys. Uh, are they, what are they? And I think it's perfectly appropriate for the teacher, the principal, or the guidance counselor to say um, uh, she has two daddies um, and, and, and other people have two mommies. I, I, I think kids are, are old enough to not discriminate, to at least be taught the basics of treating people respectfully and equally. Uh, I, I wouldn't go much beyond that in terms of who and what is taught. Okay, final question. You can't, you know, you can't avoid some of these questions. Are you stupid? This is not an opinion issue. The parental rights bill is there for a simple reason. Do not teach K to three about sex. The right is taking this too far. You are nuts. I'm embarrassed to have watched your dribble. I wish Rumble had a block feature. It does. It's called turn me off. If you don't like what I'm saying, you are invited not to listen to me or you're invited to argue with me. It doesn't make any sense and it doesn't make you look good to call me stupid. I have to tell you, talking about facts, I'm not stupid. That's a fact. I'm actually quite smart. You might disagree with me, but I'm not stupid. And making, calling me stupid, you can call my ideas stupid, but, you know, argue with them. Come up with a better idea. Build a better mousetrap. Write a better op-ed. Write a better book. Do a better podcast. That's what America is about. Compete. Marketplace of ideas. Calling somebody stupid doesn't, doesn't uh, move the argument in any uh, direction. So please, Let's improve the level and quality of discourse, at least on The Dirt Show. See you tomorrow.